Our scripture reading comes from John chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. I invite you to open your Bibles with me there. John chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. We are diving into a core Christian doctrine, uh, one I believe it's crucial for the church in America in this day and age, uh, and it speaks to a core aspect of our uh, of the Wesleyan movement, of our Wesleyan heritage, especially uh, as a revivalist movement. I mean, Wesley preached on this passage multiple times. He wrote extensively on it, and, and I'll be borrowing really a lot from him this morning as we unpack uh, what we're reading together. So as you're turning with me, it's helpful to recap a little bit from last week. Last Sunday, we read how Jesus would not entrust himself to the people uh, because he knew what was in their hearts. He knew human nature. We read in Jeremiah seventeen nine uh, how the heart is deceitful above all things. So we were reminded uh, that according to Scripture, our nature as humans is one that has been corrupted by sin. And this is a universal condition that affects us all. But when sin entered into the world, it was like a virus that corrupted the DNA of the human heart. And it altered our nature so that our initial desire is not for God, but for ourselves. Really, our our initial desire is to make us out to be the one who is God, who is control, whose will is to be done. Our scripture reading this morning offers us God's solution for this corrupting of our nature. And so we're reading in John chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. Uh, this is the NIV version of it. It says, Now there was a man uh, who was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Uh, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can somebody be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Say thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, uh, we thank you for your word. We pray that your word would be seeds within the soil of our heart, that it would grow and produce a great fruit and a great harvest within us. We pray that uh, your spirit would uh, flow among us, uh, that we would encounter and know you, and uh, that we would be changed through it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So there's this. You know, funny thing, at least I think it's kind of funny thing that uh, Jesus does or that we read uh, that Jesus does throughout John's gospel. It's it's almost one of these things where we miss it if we're not looking for it. Uh, but Jesus, a lot of times, will speak in, in spiritual metaphors and the people will take him literally and they'll be confused as if Jesus has gone crazy. If you remember last week, we 
read in John 2, or I guess a couple weeks ago we read in John 2, where Jesus was in the temple and he said, you know, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And all the, you know, the, the Jews, all the religious leaders, they were going crazy. What are you talking about, Jesus? It took us 46 years to build this temple and you're going to put it back in three days? And then we get a little side note from John that says, Jesus was talking about his body, all right? I mean, he's talking about the resurrection, but they, but they missed the point. They thought they had it all figured out, and they missed the point. Uh, later on in John's gospel, uh, Jesus meets a woman at a well, and Jesus doesn't have anything to draw water with, and he asks her to get some water, and then uh, she's talking to him, and he says, hey, if you would have known who asked you for water, uh, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You might never thirst again. She's like, well, Jesus, how did... How are you going to do this? You don't even have anything to get water out of the well with. No, Jesus isn't talking about that. Uh, a little bit later on, he'll say, if anybody wants uh, to be a part of me, then you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people think that he's really gone crazy at that point in time. Uh, and it says a lot of people abandon him. Right? They, they just leave. This is too much. But Jesus isn't speaking literally. Uh, and now I think, and this is just my two cents, I think John kind of does this to try to poke at insiders a little bit. You know, the, the people who think they've got it all figured out already, who already have it all put together. And he, he gives us this stuff so that Jesus says these things and it challenges us to think. And if we're not ready to, to really go with Jesus where he's going, then we get caught and we get stuck at, at the metaphor and we miss it completely. And, and so I think, uh, you know, John wants us to, to dive a little bit deeper to, to see the next step. Uh, but this is what Jesus is doing here in chapter 3 as he's talking with Nicodemus. Uh, and this is just kind of a side note as well for us this morning. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, which means he's one of those religious elite. He's one of those rule follower, earn your way into heaven kind of people. I know all the rules. I keep all the rules. I follow them all correctly. Uh, one of the people that Jesus oftentimes has conflict with, not maybe him specifically, but the Pharisees, they're constantly in conflict with Jesus over which is the right way, what is the right way to follow God. Uh, but yet here we see Nicodemus coming to meet with Jesus. And, and I think that this is just a, a little example that, that offers us some hope, right? that even the people who think they've got it all figured out, you know, that there's hope that they can meet with Jesus too. That there's a way that he can break down the walls of even, you know, the hardest hearts and reach out that people might encounter and know him. Even the people who think they've got it all together, there's still hope for them just yet. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus uh, because he wants, you know, he wants the inside scoop. He wants, he wants to know the tea, as the kids might say. And um, I, I said that uh, at 930 when my son was here because I was like, you know what, I got I to gotta embarrass him while I get the chance, right? You got to try to use all the kid lingo while I can, just to make them feel that inside. That's the joy of being a parent, right? You can embarrass your kid and they have to live with it. Maybe, maybe that's not the joy. Anyways, but so Nicodemus, uh, he wants to know what's going on with Jesus. He's trying to figure Jesus out. And Jesus doesn't respond directly to the things that he's saying. Instead, Jesus just lays it out there. You must be born again. And Nicodemus, he, he can't understand it. He doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. What do you, what do you mean, Jesus? I can't. I'm, I'm grown, Jesus. I can't go back. And, and so Jesus tells him, he says, you know what? This new birth that I'm talking about, it's, it's not flesh and blood. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit within you. 
new birth, uh, to be born again, to be born anew. Uh, John Wesley said that this is one of two fundamental doctrines within Christianity. Uh, those two doctrines, by the way, it's justification and a new birth. Uh, Justification is this great work that God does within us uh, of forgiving our sins. We're reconciled with God. New birth is the great work that God does within us that changes our nature, that changes us from the inside so that our, our very desires are transformed in the process. A new birth is necessary because we enter into this world spiritually dead. Dead to God, wholly dead in sin, entirely void of the life of God. Our nature is corrupted from the start. When we're born into the world, rather than bearing the image of God, of God's love, justice, mercy, truth, purity, holiness, instead, uh, we come in bearing the image of pride, self-will, unbridled desire. We, we see the world, I think, in this Initial nature, kind of like a teenage girl in the mall with a credit card, right? It's all mine. Or uh, I, I keep making this reference. Nobody else is following me, so I guess it's more niche than I thought. But if you were into kind of gangster movies, especially in the 80s, there's this, uh, what? It's, it's Anyways, so Scarface, right? Tony Montana, uh, and he looks out and he sees on the, on the blimp, you know, the world is mine, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of our corrupted nature, really. It's a great example of what's not good. Um, but, but that's how we enter into the world. Our nature's corrupted. It's all mine. It's all about what I desire, what I want, what I long for, and I is the center of that. Uh, Wesley had this great analogy in thinking about the new birth. He said, you know, before a child enters into the world, they have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have imperfect use of every other sense. A baby has no knowledge of the world, of the things of the world, or any kind of natural understanding. And this is what our life is like before the new birth, before being born of God. In a spiritual sense, we have eyes, but we cannot see. We have ears, but cannot see cannot hear uh, all of our spiritual senses are locked up as if we didn't have them at all there's no knowledge of god no fellowship with god no true knowledge of the things of god no person might be a living man or woman in this state they are a dead christian there's no joy and no peace and no love so to be to be born again is to be spiritually awakened to God. It's to have an assurance of faith, a peace that passes understanding, the love of God shed abroad in the heart by the Holy Spirit. It's to have a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. The new birth is the work that the Holy Spirit does within our hearts that changes our very nature. It's the change that takes place when our hearts are made new in Christ Jesus. When the love of the world is changed to the love of God. When pride changes to humility, passion into meekness, hatred, envy, and malice turned into love. Our brothers and sisters and those around us. It's when our earthly devilish mind is turned into the mind that was in Christ Jesus. To be born again is to truly have a change take place within our lives. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that puts within us a want 
to follow God, a wanting to let go of sin, a desire to be made holy as God is holy, to be perfect as God is perfect. In this way, new birth is our entry into sanctification, to be sanctified, to be made holy. When we are born again, our inward and outward holiness journey begins. We begin to grow into Christ. John Wesley said, uh, that, or he noted at least, that a, a child is born of a woman in a moment, in a very short time. And now some moms might argue that it was a little bit longer than just a moment. <laughs> uh, at least it felt that way, right? Uh, my mom would be one of those, uh, you know, she would say, you know, I was laboring with you for over a day. And so at least I could say I was stubborn even before I was born. I mean, that's, that's a part of my nature. It's, it came to me naturally. But in the scope of life, though, right, if we think of the timeline of our lives, birth is just a short part. It's just a little bit. But then after a person is born, they grow gradually until they reach the status of adult. I know there's some people who just grow older and never quite become an adult, but but there's a process of moving from infant through childhood and adolescence and into adulthood. Uh, there's growth from being born into an adult that comes with many milestones and many marks of progress along the way. And sometimes maybe it seems as though there's such long gaps in the midst of that process. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's some sort of catalyst event that takes place and a transition, a new stage of growth and maturity occurs. But there's a growth process from birth into adult. In the same way, a person who is born of God through the work of the Holy Spirit, that, that work might take place in a short time, if not a moment, but it's by slow degrees that a person grows in the full stature of Christ. It's a new birth that launches us in this process where we desire to let go of our sin and to seek more and more of Him. So the new birth, our, our being born again, I mean, this is crucial for us to, to understand because Jesus says, unless you have been born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, you could go to church two, three, four, five times a week, receive communion every week, say prayers, all kind of prayers in private, uh, hear good sermons every day, and there's all kinds of opportunities. I mean, there's podcasts and YouTube videos. You could hear great preachers from around the world every single day. You could study and take all of the classes. Still, you must be born again. None of these things take the place of the new birth. So I want you to look at your neighbor uh, real quick and tell them, you must be born again. they're sleeping, you know, you might have to tap them and say, hey, it's okay. You know, and actually, I'll, I, got, I got a couple minutes. All right. So I never mind, right, if somebody falls, because I, I take it as like, you know what? They feel comfortable enough here in this place, right, where you can, where you can rest. I mean, there's just times where there's so many things going on around us that you can't, if you can come here and just rest in God's presence, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I won't take offense. Um. So then, so if we must be born again, how do we know if we've been born again? How do you know if you've been born again? 
Uh, because it's not really, Jesus doesn't go into all the details of it in uh, John right here, but, but there are marks of the new birth that we find throughout uh, Scripture. Uh, as we read and we study the New Testament, there's marks of the new birth. And the first mark of new birth, uh, the foundation of all the rest is faith. In Galatians 3.26, it says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Uh, in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works so that nobody can boast. As we talk about faith, we're not just talking about uh, a mental assent to a set of propositions. It's not just to say, yeah, you know, I, I agree with the things that we say in the creed. Now, I, I, it's not even really to say, well, yeah, I agree with Scripture. I mean, the, the Bible says that even the demons believe in Jesus and they tremble and they shudder. Faith, it's just this intellectual faith only. It's not a living faith. I mean, true Christian faith is not just agreeing to a set of beliefs, but it's a disposition. It's a change in attitude. It's a trust and a confidence in God that because of what Jesus has done for us through his blood shed on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, that our sins have been forgiven, that we've been reconciled with God, made right with God. There's a blessed assurance that's been given to us. That our confidence is not in ourselves, but it's in the mercy of God that's been offered to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the fruit of this kind of faith, this living faith, the fruit of it is peace. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we are justified by faith, since we've been made right with God, since our sins have been forgiven, by grace through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. Uh, there's a peace of God that passes all understanding, which is ours through Christ Jesus. There's a peace that belongs to us, an assurance of our faith that no power on earth or hell can shake. The waves and storms may beat against us. It's a peace that is founded solidly on the rock of Jesus Christ. So whether in ease or in pain, in sickness or in health, abundance or want, a person of faith lives with peace because their hope is in God. So our second scriptural mark uh, for those who are born of God is hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the apostle writes, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the res resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says that this is a living hope. I mean, contrasted with, with a dead hope. Uh, a dead hope that comes from a dead faith. A hope that's rooted in pride. Right? I mean, there's a false kind of hope. That comes from, you know, our, our own self. A hope that says and thinks, well, you know, I can do it. Uh, I can achieve it. I can save it. Right? But this is not a Christian hope. Christian hope is founded 
in God. Christian hope is founded in Christ's resurrection from the dead, in his victory over sin and death, in his power over the works of the devil. It is a hope that is rooted within the promises of Scripture, a hope that always endures because if Christ can be born of Mary, if Christ can be raised from the dead, then there is nothing that is impossible with God. All things are possible to those that believe. This is the source, this is the rootedness of our hope. And it is the mark of the new birth within our lives. The third uh, scriptural mark of those who are born of God is love. And and this is is not a sentimental kind of love. It's the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Right? I mean, it's, a, it's not the kind of love that we just make up on our own, uh, that I give to you on Valentine's Day in a card. It, it's a change in our attitude and our disposition towards God and then towards the people around us. It, it's a love that loves God first and foremost above all things. A, a person who loves God finds their delight in him, right? God becomes the joy of their heart, their exceedingly great reward. And the desire of their soul is towards him. And it's their joy to do his will. Jesus uh, says in John 14, 15, says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. If you love me, then you're going to follow my teaching. You're going to follow my lead and my example. This is not a sentimental kind of love, not a Hallmark movie kind of love. It's a yearning within our heart, within our souls to be with God, to be near to God, to be for God. One of the ways that we see this love of God played out within our lives through this change of our disposition, not only towards God, but towards others, is that we truly learn what it is to love our neighbors, truly learn what it is to love our enemies, in 1 John four twenty, we read, those who say I love God and hate a brother or sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And, and I get this can be a difficult, a difficult thing. This might be something for some of us that requires a lot and a lot and a lot of prayer. But, but this is one of those marks of the new birth within us that our desire is to love those around us. Now, loving your neighbor, I mean, this is, this is one of those concepts over the years. It's almost become something that everybody says, oh, yeah, we should love our neighbors. We should do this. This is a good thing. I mean, everybody should do this. And, and we, we kind of make a big deal about it. We almost lose the sense of what it is to love a neighbor. Because oftentimes when we say love a neighbor, it's, you know, loving the people that we don't actually come into contact with, right? I, I can, I'll love my neighbor and get some food for the food pantry, which doesn't mean don't get it, but it's, it's, there's a, 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 a still a contractual kind of love. It's not a, a kind of love that God has for us, right? The kind of love that sacrifices itself for us. See, there's a lot of people that say we should love our neighbors yet always have a problem with their neighbor, uh, who never have time for their neighbor, who never have patience for their neighbor, who never have a good word for their neighbor. And I found a little clip. I think it helps to illustrate the difference between what it is to love your neighbor and what that might look like as your disp- in your disposition towards them uh, and then what it looks like not to love your neighbor. You know what? If you want to apologize for something, apologize for that. My eyes are burning. Well, don't, don't blame me. 
Haven't you heard? The mayor wants Christmas to be three times bigger this year. That means three times the lights, three times the eggnog, three times the information needed. <laughs> that was a good one. Oh, I get it. This is one of your kidding things. Finally, something you said is actually funny. <laughs> yeah, I do kid a lot, but no, this Christmas is actually three times bigger. Well, you're just gonna oh, have oh, a good dear. time with this, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> I gotta say, no, it's no, really no, nice no, to I, see I, you I, laughing. I, sorry, <laughs> I, I can't hear you. I don't speak ridiculous. <laughs> oh, you're a scream. Have a nice life. Goodbye. I'll see you later. So, so in this video. You know, who is loving their neighbor, right? Who who shows what it is to love their neighbor? The Grinch or, or Mr. Bricklebaum is his name. And I mean, it's it's kind of a rhetorical question. I mean, there's as, every time I see this, I've, well, I've seen it a number of times every Christmas, but now uh, three times this morning, I'm like, you know what? There, there's just something about Mr. Bricklebaum. I, I, I wish I could love others like that. But, I mean, the reality is that some of us say that we love Jesus, but we go around like Grinches to every person we meet, even to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of them might say, now I'm getting into meddling here. But, you know, there, there's a scowl and a frown, uh, a negative word, an angry word. We're so easily frustrated by what the other person does. There's something that's missing when this is our disposition. Well, it's something within us that we need God to do a healing work or a transforming work. But there's, there's something that's off. And, and I'll give some grace because, I mean, I have my moments, right? I mean, I think we all have our, our moments. But the fruit of our heart shows through in our, in our, in our mouth, in our, in our face. I, I think some of us, you know, myself at times as well, need to do serious praying and soul searching because to love our neighbors, to love them in the way of Christ, it just it looks different than that. To love somebody in the way of Christ is even more than just treating them with general kindness, which is something we, we generally just expect of all people, but it's, but it's to love them in such a way that, that we're willing to lay our life down for them so that they might know salvation. I mean, this is what Scripture says. This is what... How we know what real love is. We know what real love is because Jesus laid down his life for us. 1 John 3.16. In 1 John chapter 4, it goes on and on about love. Um, not just about this part about those who don't love their neighbors or are liars, but, but it tells us about how we know what love is. That love comes from God. That love is made known through Christ's atoning work for us on the cross. And so for us to love our neighbors means to love them in such a way that our desire for them is to know Christ, to know the power of his salvation. It's not just to offer some material needs. I mean, it is a love that, yes, cares for their material needs, but it's even more so a love that cares for their soul, a love that prays for our neighbors, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for our enemies, a love that shares with our neighbor, a love that points our neighbor towards God. It's a love that finds its greatest joy in God, and so it desires that others are going to find that same joy as well. But these three marks of new birth are evidence for us that we have been born again. Faith that comes with a blessed assurance and an ongoing peace, hope and the power of God and resurrection, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts that produces within us the holiness of Christ. 
So if you might say this morning, well, I'm not sure if I've been born again. Today's the day. No need to hesitate. No need to wait. Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Don't wait any longer. Do this today. If you've not experienced this inward work of God, which transforms your life from the inside out, I'm going to invite us to, I'm going to invite all of us to pray together, but I'm going to invite you to let this be an ongoing prayer within your life. So we'll, we'll pray this together. Lord, add this to all my blessings. Let me be born again. Deny whatever you please, but do not deny this. Let me be born from above. Let me be born of your spirit. Take away whatever seems good, reputation, fortune, friends, health. Only give me this, to be born of the spirit and to be received among the children of God. Let me be born not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Amen. Amen. All right, let this be, you know, your prayer for that inward work to take place within us, that new birth that changes our disposition, that changes our hearts, that changes our focus, that changes the things that we long for most. So what we long for is more of him so that we don't just say and sing, seek first the kingdom, but from the inner parts, from our innermost being, shining through to every single part of us, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then daily grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be all honor and glory and praise forever and ever. Amen.